Okay, good evening. Um, welcome uh, to the LSE and to this uh, public lecture uh, this evening. Thank you for making the time to come. Uh, my name is Michael Barzillet, and I'm your chair tonight. I'm also the head of the Department uh, of Management. Um, I'm uh, delighted to introduce our uh, guest uh, this evening, our speaker, uh, Laurence Monnoyer. Smith, which is easy to get the accent more or less right, um, uh, who comes to us from the uh, French National Commission for Public uh, Debate. Um, uh, I've heard a version of this presentation before in, in Paris at a conference, and I was very taken with it, and my main feeling was uh, this would be wonderful to share with colleagues uh, back at the LSE, um, because the activities and, and mission of the uh, commission uh, are very central or very illustrative of challenges in public sector uh, management and governance, in particular because the uh, issues that uh, get on its agenda are ones that have potential, uh, potential for affecting the interests of the society as a whole, and perhaps even more so uh, individuals and groups uh, who will bear the most direct consequences of uh, many of the policies that um, could be under, undertaken. Um, and uh, this is an interesting case because uh, it involves an institutional uh, innovation, uh, starting up a new kind of organization, at least in the uh, national setting, national institutional setting, for which there is no uh, clear path uh, for development. Um, and so questions of that are really close to public management emerge very directly uh, in uh, uh, in the narrative of this uh, of this body, so I think there's actually a great deal uh, to learn, uh, not only uh, from the from the facts, from the stories uh, associated with the experience over a number of years of the commission, but you know from actually looking very closely at some of the problems that are inherent uh, in operating a program like uh, uh, managing public debates as well as uh, keeping, uh, uh, keeping some sort of uh, influence over the institutional space where you uh, work. Just um, uh, a small note on um, uh, the background of our uh, speaker. She is uh, an academic, so can be trusted uh, in, these, uh, in this context, um, a professor at the uh, University of Technology of Compagne, um, and uh, she's on leave having been uh, director of the Human Sciences and Technology uh, Research uh, Lab. So if you were at the LSE, she'd be in the Department of Media and Communications uh, applying uh, her expertise and knowledge uh, to a very important public problem. Um, I have to just tell you that this event is being uh, recorded, and uh, if you are following this on Twitter, you have the hashtag projected on the, uh, on the screen. So we'll have a presentation for the usual amount of time, 35, 40 minutes, uh, time for questions and answers. Uh, would you uh, welcome our guest, Professor Laurence Monnoyer-Smith. Thank you very much, Michael, for having me tonight. I'm really thrilled to be in this very famous, uh, famous university. Um, London School of Economics is always a great place to, to come to, and uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled to, to be able to share uh, my experience with you tonight. 
So what I'm going to try to, uh, to talk about tonight is some, uh, some, some considerations about how difficult it is to uh, organize public debates in France and nevertheless how important it is for us to have a to have institutionalized this public this this uh, question of public deliberation and i am going to focus on the good points of it and the uh, some some feedback on about 12 years of after 12 years of experience and some problems we are now facing so last november president francois hollande introduced the third environmental conference which prepares the uh, ecological roadmap for the end of this mandate with this word I would like to share with you. If there is one lesson from the ecological transition, it is the following. Transparency, information sharing, the democratization of debates and decisions, active participation of citizens, associations, and NGOs, and the collective construction of positive solution of general interest are the only way to act effectively and sustainably. Ecology and participatory democracy are inseparable. It is my long-held conviction. This uh, participatory engagement follows a dramatic accident which occurred in south of France just a few days before François Hollande's speech during a demonstration against the decision to build a barrage on the Garonne River. This project is quite old. It has started in 1969 and it was... Uh, It was aimed at creating a dam lake for the establishment of a reserve of water with a volume of 1.5 cubic meters used especially for irrigation of agricultural, agricultural land and control low water of a little river, which was right behind the, uh, right behind the Garonne. The impact of the project lies in retaining the flooding of 12 hectares of wetland. Contravailing measures, we're planning to restore a total area of 19.5 hectares. The Ministry of Ecology, Sustainable Development and Energy requested a project evaluation report in September 2014. In the event of October 26, Rémi Fraisse, a young man which was an opponent of the project, was killed by a grenade during clashes between riot police and a group of demonstrators. After his death, the project is suspended, and events in tribute to Rémi Fraisse and against police violence are conducted. This dramatic episode highlights the current difficulties in France to put into practice participatory arrangements. Indeed, the Sivens Barrage, that was the name of this dam, was not a big infrastructure project at all. It was a small one, only about 6.5 million euros for, for what I told you about, uh, 1.5 uh, million cubic, um, cubic meters of water retention. So it was not a big project. 
The, the preliminary studies have been conducted between 1989 and 2006, and several approval procedures have been followed. But from the beginning, many opponents of the project, which was, which was uh, threatening some wetlands, had underscored is in its inaccuracy and oversight considering the agri agricultural needs. The local prefect, the prefect in France is the uh, local representative of the state. So the local prefect has given the final authorization despite many reservations the public inquiry had shown and the arguments of the opponents. Several court decisions were, were taken in favor of the project. If I, told, if, I, if I start with this story, is because I think that the Sivens episode shows a legitimacy conflict which is quite common in contemporary modern society. On the one hand, the local decision makers argue that the project is necessary for the protection of local farmers who need more and more water. And this project had, every, had followed every legal procedure. On the other hand, environmentalists argue that the environmental cost of supplying more water for too demanding agriculture is too heavy. On the one hand, we have a legal procedure which has been followed, and on the other, its legitimacy is contested because of a lack of citizens' consultations, or so they feel. So the legality of the process is therefore contested for its absence of democratic basis. Hence, the presidential pledge for more participation within the decision-making process as the whole country has been quite affected by uh, Rémi Fraisse's death. This could be surprising in a country where in recent years there has been a proliferation of new procedures involving participation or deliberation, both at the national level in the form of institutionalized debate, which I will come to later, and at the local, at the local level, which fostered by decentralized structures of the state to such an extent that NGOs and citizens are even starting to use the formula participatory fatigue to express their difficulties to positively answer to every participatory arrangement which they are solicited for. In France, for instance, we have a quite extensive uh, legislation which organizes participatory democracy at the national level with the independent agency called the National Commission for Public Debate and at the local level with several procedures in urban development and industrial and risk, risk assessment, for example. So to only speak about the national level, the National Commission for Public Debate has been created in 1995 but by the Barnier Act. You might have heard of Michel Barnier because he was a, a former European commissioner and a former minister for environment in France. So this act uh, follows a set of public demonstrations about infrastructures project in the late 80s and 90s like for the high-speed train Méditerranée, what you call a high-speed train Méditerranée 
uh, about highways, about the famous Sonport Tunnel, which, uh, which is between France and Spain. And these demonstrations have been quite violent. People were actually on the, on, on the, on the, on the railways and in, the, in, in Spain, close to the Sonport Tunnel, they attached themselves to, uh, <coughs> to police cars, and it's, it's been quite violent. So after that, uh, the, the um, Minister of Environment decided to go a, a step further, uh, a step further because at that, at that time there was uh, some consultation, local consul consultation were organized, but with only very, uh, very limited people, a um, very, very small amount of stakeholders. And those consultations were organized by the local prefect, i.e. by the state. And people were not really happy, by the way, was organized because the prefect, well, is still a representative of the state. So obviously he was, he was in favor of the project. So people were really unhappy about the way this was all going on. And so Michel Barnier, uh, asked the, um, uh, a couple of, uh, of members of parliament to prepare uh, a law uh, to create this National Commission for Public Debate. In this first version of the National Commission, the, the Commission could organize public debate only on the objectives and the main characteristics of big public infrastructures of national interests which also bear a socio-economic issue and has a strong environmental issues. Okay, big infrastructure uh, with nas of national interest, which has an impact on the environment and which has uh, which has uh, many socio-economic issues. These were the three main uh, characteristic of the uh, of the commission. So the c commission does not give his opinion on the project but it organizes discussion among the public, stakeholders, and the project owners. At that time, it was mainly the state. No, it's a bit, there are more and more private uh, companies involved. i come to that later. But at that time, all the big projects were, of course, uh, driven by the state. So the Commission is a guarantor of the debate, a guarantor of the sincerity of the debate and its transparency. The Commission takes its decision from a saisine dossier which describes the project, and the Commission appreciates the socio-economic stakes of the project and its environmental issue. So that was the first version of the National Commission. It bears a specific conception of general interest. I explain, I'll come back to this idea in a minute. The main critics of the Barnier Act is that the legislation does not habilitate the Commission to discuss a crucial aspect of the project, that is to say, their opportuneness. It is also silent about the debate's follow-up. means the Commission organizes a debate and it gives a report to the state or the, the project manager and then the, uh, the state or the project owner decides what's to be done afterwards, go or no go. But nothing is really organized afterwards. So the signature of the uh, Aarhus Convention in 1998 accelerates this reflection for an evolution of the Commission, and especially um, it reconsidered what we, what we think or how we envision 
general interest. What is general interest? Because in the first version of the uh, in this first version of this national commission, we could not discuss about the general interest of the project. Why? Because the state was considering that he was the legitimate the legitimate body to explain to the people what was the general interest. That's why it wasn't discussed during public debate. But of course, when you talk about a big infrastructure such like uh, an airport or whatever, what the public wants to talk about is, uh, do we need it? If the state says, I know because I'm the state, because we are, we are a bunch of very, you know, um, educated and... Uh, and a very and and good yeah exactly <laughs> really good technician. We know what France needs. This is a role of government. This is the role of representatives. We know what the general interest is. Then it cannot be discussed in public debates. This changes with the Aris Convention, and it changes because of course the uh, at that time the head of the president of the National Commission. Uh, for public debate explained that we could not organize public debate if we don't ask the people if they really are in favor or not of this project. Not only because of main technical consideration, but because they think it's not necessary or maybe not here, somewhere else, or uh, whatever. But they want to have their say in the idea of general interest. So there is a shift in the conception of the general interest. Is that Anybody can contribute to the conception of what general interest is. So in 2002, the Neighborhood Democracy Act is adopted, and it consecrates the legitimacy of these critics. The CNDP became an independent agency, and now it is compulsory for any project owner uh, for the project owner to go to the CNDP for any infrastructure project above 300 million euros. They have to. They don't have the choice. The Commission has the power to appreciate the opportunity of organizing a large debate. For any project between 150 million euros and 300 million euros, the project has to be published, i.e. in the media or the project owner has to make it known to the public so that NGOs or members of parliaments or local, uh, local um, uh, elected official in the mairies or, can go to the CNDP, they can go as well, and ask for the organization of a public debate if they feel it's necessary because it's controversial, for example. So the way we work is now that... For big project, the, uh, the project owner, the state, a general direction of any ministry, which is in charge of the project, goes to the CNDP and explain, we want to build a high-speed railway, for example, or an offshore windmill farm. And uh, he presents the project, and the commission then evaluates if it needs a public debate or not. If it's of national interest, of course, we don't deal with every uh, local project. For example, a stadium, a sports stadium might not be, even if it's very expensive, might not need a, a large public debate. If it has big environmental uh, impact, and of course, we evaluate the, uh, the context. 
do we um, do we f do we feel that associations or elected officials or citizens really want to discuss about it? Then what we do is that we set up a ad hoc commission from five to seven people, and uh, we there this ad hoc commission is in charge of organizing the this specific debate. Because in the National Commission, we are only 10 people working. So we can handle like five or six public debates at the same time. So every time we appoint a specific commission. The commission has between four to six months to prepare the debate, meaning meeting people, meeting association, trying to understand, understand the technical aspects of the project, because sometimes it can be, um, can be quite complex, understand where the project, where the project stands between the decision-making process. I'll come back to this idea later. Um, what already has been decided or not. And then he prepares the organization of the, of the different meetings. Uh, it can be public meetings. It can be focus group. It can be uh, uh, consensus conferences or all of this mixed together. And they organize also uh, a website uh, with, with um, uh, participatory, um, participatory devices in it where people can post their comment. There's a forum. There, uh, there are specific spaces for Q&A and uh, many different type of possibilities for citizens to send their contribution, to ask questions, chats, whatever, there's, the, it's, it's, it's the quite an engineering to, to organize all this, um, all this public debate. That's why we need between four to, to six months. And then the debate starts. It lasts three, four months. It can be, can be two months more if we have expertise to conduct, but mainly most of our debate lasts about four months. During this four, after these four months, the, national, the, the commission has two months to, to give his report to the project owner, to the state, and to the public. And then the project owner uh, has three months to explain what he's going to do with the project and what, uh, what he can, what, what he wants to, um, what he wants to, to, to remember and to use that has been said during the debate. Usually, uh, it's, uh, they, don't say, they don't say, okay, we stop, or we go. They say, uh, well, we keep on investigating on the project, considering everything has been, has been said. We, we conducted some analysis and we found that one-third of the project are usually stopped after a while. Maybe not only because of the debate, but it's hard to see what exactly in the debate uh, has, has you know, driven the decision, but usually many factors. But one-third of the project are stopped, uh, one-third of the project are deeply modified, and one-third of the project are slightly if not modified at all. So that's just to give you a, a, an idea of, of uh, what's going on afterwards. For the last 12 years, we have organized more than 17, 70 public debates, and the procedure is now quite well known uh, among stakeholders, 
maybe not uh, among every French citizen, <laughs> but um, association and NGO knows the procedures quite well now. So therefore, the institutionalization of public debate can be seen as a positive evolution within the French practice of participatory democracy. It has given citizens and NGOs opportunity to express their concern about big national projects which had deep impact on their everyday lives. High-speed trains, motorway, nuclear plants and wasted and wastes commercial harbors and airports cannot, in France, be, be built without a large popular consultation. So conflict use, conflicts, sorry, conflicts of uses of space, conception of economic development, protection of environment have been subject to public scrutiny with more or less intensity, but within the respect of public deliberation rules, derived, we have to recognize it, from a Habermasian normative ideal. Discussions have been held in public and therefore open to all who wishes to have their say. Confrontations of arguments, here you can have a little Habermasian music, confrontation of arguments prevail on normative positions. Everyone is equal in the discussion and that is quite funny to observe, actually, because usually there is a big public meeting, there are elected officials and, uh, and local elites, and, and the head of the commission always say, well, Mrs. Uh, Smith, you, uh, you, you can talk for five minutes, and the other, please, you have five minutes and not more. So they sometimes feel quite uncomfortable. <laughs> But it is true, everyone is equal in the discussion and the Commission is very attentive to the sincerity of all actors. Of course, many studies and academic research have been held on the CNDP's work during these years. They have, of course, developed an extensive social critic of the procedure and I did, I contributed to these critics before I was appointed as the Vice President of the National Commission, I have to say. Uh, and I will come to this, I will come to these critics in depth uh, later. But let me start on the positive side. What did we learn from this research? The learning process of many actors, including the states, and general directions of uh, ministers. Companies and small, and small uh, NGOs have been acknowledged. They have learned to talk to each other in a more or less civil manner. On the decision maker's side, means the state, quite often, big national companies, local authorities, and even to a less extent, private companies have had to consider citizens and associations not only as lay people, you know, who, to whom they had to explain the soundness of their project, but also as experts of their own environment who could enrich the project and even prevent the project manager to make decisive misjudgments. 
For example, I remember a public debate where uh, the project owner didn't understand at all. The, it was about a, um, a waste treatment facility. And the project owner uh, thought that it was, it was an ugly facility because it's been built in the 1930s or something. And they had two big chimneys, a bit like, you know, Battersea Power Station. Well, I'm not saying it's ugly. <laughs> but sort of. And so the, it really was a bit like Battersea Station with two big chimneys, you know, with smokes uh, on top of it. But so the, the project owner th thought that he wanted to modernize the station and he thought he should, you know, put everything down and rebuild a very nice modern place hidden within, um, within you know, glass walls and, and lots of trees everywhere and no one could see it again. And during the public debate, they understood that they were completely wrong. They had, uh, you know, they organized an architect um, uh, contest, and all the project proposed to the citizens were completely wrong because what citizens wanted was to keep their Battersea power station because they've been born with it, and it, they thought it was their identity. It was a, a territory. It's south of Paris. It's not a very nice neighborhood. And, but they thought, they thought it, it was part of themselves, and they didn't want to hide it. And more interesting, they didn't want to hide the smoke. You know why? Because they wanted everyone to remember that this facility was there. If there was no smoke, who would remember that a waste treatment facility, which is always potentially dangerous, was still there? So at the end of it, at the end of the debate, the uh, the project owner just revised the whole thing and said, "Okay, we'll keep the smoke." <laughs> of course, it was it was only a wish. It was not nothing too dangerous, but we keep the smoke. We keep, we might keep even the chimneys because they want it. So you know, this, this type this type of misjudgment can only can only be understood during public debates. So. Also, uh, talking about learning process, a new conception of expertise, what we call a lay expertise, coming from this term lay expertise, coming from academic research in the field of social studies of science. This lay expertise notion has percolated into the, in, in the public space to describe this lay citizen's ability to give a legitimate and sound argument in many technical debates. You should be astonished to what people are, what people are able to, uh, to uh, discuss, understand, spend time for when they're really concerned about the project, even if it's extremely technical. Elected officials and experienced engineers have witnessed a growing experience of the public after several months of debate on a project and its aptitude to extensively discuss on technical matters, we, which could, of course, have seemed at first hard to grasp for lay citizens. And I've witnessed it even in extremely complex public debate about, uh, for example, uh, nuclear waste, which is always a very hot topic. It appears that with the help of information and communication technologies, associations and citizens are now able to confront 
expert discourse with contradictory arguments which oblige the state's officials and engineers to defend their position with in-depth arguments rather with the arguments of authority. Independent expertise is also flourishing in many fields, environmental studies, physics, economy, every technical topic has now been appropriated by associations and citizens which dissect the project and issue. I've seen it, you know, spend their night on the web to understand what's going on. And they raise unexpected questions for the, the project manager. So that's one first very positive aspect of public debate. The second very positive aspect of public debate has been its ability to broaden perspective about the various projects discussed. I was um, talking earlier about this waste uh, treatment facility, which has, um, which has, um, uh, um, has mobilized uh, the local po uh, population. Uh, the public debate, this public debate has given the population the opportunity to claim a better prevention policy of household waste production where the operator of the facility was merely, merely arguing that his project was a cutting-edge technology as the main incinerator would be partially replaced by a new methanization unit. So he's really happy, you know, the project owner said not only are you going to have a brand new facility, but also it's going to be cutting edge technology. We're going to have uh, a smaller incineration unit, which everybody knows that nobody likes incineration units. We're going to have a brand new methanization unit. It's going to be all fine. And what one of the main outcome of the project was that the, the community has mobilized to prevent waste to be produced and they, they've been asking for a heavy mobilization for recycling. So not only it was um, uh, this public debate allowed the project owner to understand that the community wanted to, ke to keep his, his chimneys and his water, but also he had understood that he had not seen the project within a, a broader, you know, in a broader perspective. We are not the the, the the community said okay we need this we need this facility but we want also to rethink the whole recycling organization you know procedure in, in the local community how do we how can we recycle all the project instead of producing always more and more waste so the the the, the population was a lot more concerned by waste production than by the uh, facility's ugly presence on their territory. Many public debates have allow, allowed various publics to confront their normative position in a very constructive way. How our country should deal with nuclear waste. A 2005 public debate has explored the various possibilities, subsurface storage, deep storage, research on nuclear transmutation. Should we keep on producing waste and develop new modern treatment facility or encourage citizens to recycle? How can we develop offshore windmill farm without altering, altering a second world war landing beach with, which bears the memory of thousands of dead soldiers? Because the project owners didn't uh, actually realize that the uh, offshore windmill farm was actually very close to a second world war, very important uh, landing beach. 
and they decided to build a memorial, etc. And people from Great Britain actually participated to this debate because it was very important for them. Every project impacts a territory in very, you know, in, in multiple, multiple ways, from most material to the most symbolic ones. So public debate allows citizens and associations to, exp to express which aspects of the project threatens or support their concerns. And pr prioritization can become a public exercise in, every, uh, in which every stakeholder uh, has to argue. Nevertheless, of course, there's a lot of drawbacks. There's quite a few drawbacks. Institutionalized public debates face at least two challenges. There are more, and I'm sure you will. We can talk about uh, these later. The first one is the complexity of the decision-making process. Why? Because most of the projects we are dealing with at the CNDP uh, come within a larger framework. Energetic transition program for the uh, offshore windmill farms, for example. Regional, regional household waste management schemes. National transportation programs. Urban planning programs, and so on and so forth. Therefore, these plans, schemes, and programs, if, if those plans, schemes, and programs do not include a participatory phase, it is likely that the related project that will be proposed after will be largely contested. And if we consider the quite heavy European regulations in many areas, the National Commission ends up with a very limited scope for discussion on the project's appropriateness, which is, of course, essential, as I mentioned before. One has to take into account the various uh, phases of the decision-making process to ensure public participation at the most appropriate time. In many cases, the decision to organize a public debate is not taken when it is, when it is most needed. I'm going to give you an example to be sure uh, you understand what I, what I try to explain about these offshore windmill farms. I'm actually um, head of a uh, ad hoc commission about a, an offshore windmill farm on the, on the north coast uh, of France. France has decided to develop offshore windmill farms within the context, the context of energetic transition in 2008. There has been at the time a very limited consultation which didn't involve a large public but only some stakeholders and this consultation has led the government to determine uh, the suitable areas in the channel, north of France, and on the Atlantic coast. Then there has been a call for projects. It has been open to invite industries, even international industries, to propose their best technologies for offshore windmill farms. Then, and only then, a public debate is organized. When the projects are precise enough to be discussed among the public. But then we have to face some misunderstanding from the public. What is there to discuss? If the government has already made a choice, first on the suitable zones and second on the consortia of companies, 
which will be able to exploit these windmill farms. The Commission for Public Debates can always explain that there is what we call a two years risk-taking period, a time, a two years time, which allows the consortium to study the actual feasibility of the project and it could always decide not to go. But the question of opportunity here seems quite hard to grasp for the public, for the general public. And it therefore questions the real objective of the debate. Is it only an acceptability debate? And to keep on complicating this picture, the feasibility studies are realized by the consortium during this two years period. And uh, the studies are realized with the consortium and uh, with the stakeholders, for example, fishermen, to understand what type of fish they're fishing in the channel, for example, where they're fishing, and uh, what type of boat they have, just to study the structure of the, of the offshore, uh, offshore windmill farm. It's quite big, uh, offshore windmill farm. It's about, it's about 70, uh, 70 um, uh, windmills, and uh, it's about uh, 10, square, uh, 10 uh, square kilometers, uh, approximately. Um, in surface, so it's quite, it's quite big. So the consortium discussed with the stakeholders, like the fishermen, like divers. Yeah, you can dive, actually, in the channel. There's <laughs> not many things to see, but you can dive. There are property owners, etc. And all these people are consulted to feed the consortium with all the data they need to propose the most accurate project. And at the same time, we have to organize a public debate involving roughly the same actors which are contributing to this study. It is therefore quite hard for them to contribute to these studies and to deliberate about the real opportunity of the project at the same time. And they ask us, can the project, can, can the project be cancelled? If not, what is the point of the debate? <laughs> to make it even worse, Another public consultation is also organized at the same time by the French Electricity Transportation Network about the offshore-onshore electric connection. Because it's not exactly the same project. The consortium is only responsible of the, the farm itself. And the French Electricity Transportation Network is responsible for the connection between the offshore and the shore. How can you understand this when you're, uh, when you're just a citizen? Because this, this connection is, of course, central, uh, a central question of the debate. Where will the cable be located, you know? Will it be dangerous for local fishermen's boat, for example? And our role as a CNDP within this complex system of intertwined decision-making process is to reintroduce zones of discussion in which what should, what should, really, um, in which what should really seem an already uh, taken decision. So we try, to, we try to organize a discussion in between all these uh, um, uh, procedures. It would have been a lot more sensible to organize a wide debate about the suitable areas than maybe a smaller consultation about the, the chosen cons uh, project with the consortium, of course. 
Therefore, this, uh, we are actually uh, pleading and discussing with the government uh, to, 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 to have a, a new participatory law, uh, a new act, uh, for, for a, an evolution of our role within the, this process. We would like to be asked to organize public debate upstream big programs to elucidate the condition within which it is possible to develop these large infrastructures program. But then a major question raises. Who would pay for it? I mean the debate. A public debate comes with heavy costs between six to 800,000 euros. And it should be financed by the consortium. Of course, the one who builds infrastructure should pay, should pay for the public debate, which is about it. But what if it has not been chosen? That is why the government has never, never wanted to organize a public, a public debate about the, uh, the suitable zones. One solution to this project, to this problem, sorry, could be that the states does pre-finance the debate and the chosen consortium then pays back. This is actually what is, uh, what is done in Denmark, for instance. So that's the first problem. The second problem we face is a radicalization of opponents within a context of economic crisis and institution, call, name it institution crisis, representation crisis, democratic crisis. Many French infrastructure has been built in a post-Second um, World War area, era, uh, 15, 60, uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And they are getting quite old by now. Airports need to be extended, industrial facilities need to be reorganized and modernized, nuclear, new, not to talk about nuclear plants. What on earth should we do with them? Either we need to dismantle them, modernize them, a bit of both, and so on. So as the, funding, the fundings for this project are not unlimited, NGOs are regularly questioning the comparative merits of every alternative to the proposed project. They also, they also contest the vision of society which lies behind this project. It is especially true for nuclear plants or any other type of technoscience such as uh, technoscience problems such as uh, you know, nanotechnology or biotechnology. Radical opponents put forward the absence of sincerity from the state, which has developed participatory arrangement in order to avoid conflict, and criticize the CNDP for being an acceptability agency. We could call that a Foucauldian governmentality critique. I explain why. As Chantal Mouffe would put it, Unsolvable conflicts undermine society and participatory democracy could be analyzed as the modern public instrument for global channeling, channeling of society's conflict. As both a discourse and a set of institutionalized procedure, participatory, participatory democracy is then condemned for its main objective, which is to channel popular behavior on expected routes, i.e. designed by the dominant oligarchy. 
I don't really fully follow this line of reasoning, but one has to admit that there is some truth in it. Many project owners, including state services, are not genuinely convinced by the virtue of collective intelligence and deliberation. Public debate is often perceived as a compulsory bad time to go through without sincerely believing that the process can, can be an asset for the project's robustness. Why? Because it is time-consuming, because it's expensive, and because it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> because when you have to face a, a, whole, uh, a whole public in a, in a room just like this, can be very uncomfortable. You can feel very uncomfortable when people are shouting or express, expressing, you know, how they're feeling more or less violent way, violent way. And for us, it's quite hard to convince the decision-making that what could seem a technologically perfect project might need to be reconsidered according to the context it might be implemented in and that many social, economical, and even environmental aspects of it have to be fully considered that citizens should not only be consulted about the colors of the doors. It is, it is actually, I, I've, I've witnessed, I've been in meetings where, you know, for the presentation of the project, the project owners just come in front of us and with this project and because he has to, and with his file, and uh, he says, of course, my, my project is 2 billion euros, but, you know, it is a small project, not of national interest. You know, it's just a huge facility north of Paris, and we are expecting tourists to come from overseas, but it's, it's only a local project. Uh, it might not be necessary to organize a public debate. We had lots of lawyers working on the file, and they think it's not of national interest. And it has a very limited environmental impact because we, we're going to make it very well. So maybe it's not necessary to organize a public debate. So I've, you can see how uncomfortable they are with this, with this idea. If they can avoid it, then they will. On the other hand, the sincerity of public debate process has become contested by the same NGOs and the same opponent, which have used it to enhance their internal legitimacy. Because having their voice heard at a regional or national scale through public debates has given them a specific status. They are quite well known. Of course, when you organize a public debate, you have a lot of media. So when you are, a, uh, when you are an opponent or a small NGO, and if you disturb completely the public meetings, then you have all the media coming. And then you became famous and it increases your legitimacy. So we are now, um, they, those associations have gained in authority, reputation, and even negotiation power. So we are now faced with organized network that can 
jeopardize the whole process by directly negotiated, negotiating with elected officials when the situation is critical, just like in the Sivens case about the dam I, the dam I, I, told, I told you about when I started. If you just make a big demonstration, you, uh, you prevent the public meetings to be organized, then you have the whole media, and then you can, you can directly discuss with the minister itself. Not only it's really good for your own legitimacy, for the own people who are members of your association, and, uh, and, you, can, and you can then completely bypass the public debate. So the governmentality critique also mask a specific communication strategy from all those actors who have really well spotted, spotted the weakness of public participation, which is, it is true, the temptation for decision makers to instrumentalize participatory procedure. So in between the governmentality critique and the aggressive communication strategy from opponents which, uh, who try to torpedo any type of project, the CNDP has to create some room for real public deliberation. We need to create the conditions for deliberation by exploring all the conditions under which a project in the long run is sustainable, and if not, why? We need to create these arenas in which the broad public can understand the complex decision-making process. But this is what we are juggling with. For us, participatory democracy still needs to respond to this recent questioning about its accuracy in a radical context. But we believe that the solution is, the solution is probably more democracy and less democracy. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you uh, very much. Very interesting presentation, case study, some theory, some commentary. Uh, very interesting to see a case where the basic concept of the uh, organization comes from political theory. Uh, and where the uh, realities of implementing it uh, crop up in expected and unexpected places. Uh, so I think that's very informative. Um, uh, the uh, issues uh, that it deals with are very um, generic in the sense that uh, probably much any country is engaging in the uh, taking down and putting up uh, infrastructure projects um, we have uh, some opportunity to explore uh, the, the talk, the, raise, talk, the issues raised in the talk with our guest. Our um, methodology is to, uh, that you put up your hand and I will call on you and our uh, stewards will give you a microphone if you would be so kind when you take the floor uh, to uh, identify yourself. Um, that would be uh, very nice. Uh, the gentleman here in the brown sweater in the front. Thank you very much. Jan LSE. Thank you very much for your insights into the French débat public. I have two questions, and you can pick one of them. <laughs> I actually like the second one better. The first one, <laughs> the first one is actually I would be interested who actually participates in these uh, public debates because I assume you always have this self-selection bias that only elites and people who are well-informed, well-educated participate, and is this really representative in any end? 
And the second question is actually on cross-border issues, because there is a railway link between, uh, built between Lyon and uh, Turin. I mm -hmm. think you're well aware of that. And it's a cross-border project, a French-Italian project. And I think in Europe you have to think also public participation in cross-border terms. So I would be interested, um, do also French citizens take into account the benefits for Italy, for example, of this high-speed railway link? And do you think that your instrument can respond to that challenge, to cross-border uh, benefits and challenges? So if you even answer both, would be <laughs> yeah. No, they're, they're two really, really good questions. The first one is actually one of uh, a third um, difficulty we face. So it, I didn't take the time to, to talk about it, but it's the inclusion problem. Inclusion. I've been working a lot about inclusion in my previous research and uh, uh, with the work, using the work uh, of Nancy Fraser and and. Iris, Iris Mayon, Young and, and authors like that to try to work out how we can include more and more people. So first, um, a couple of statements and who participates? Um, we've been studying extensively who's in the, actually, in the rooms when we organize public debate. Um, mainly uh, male in their 40s, educated, White. Um, of course, it's not always the case, but it's something we, when we, we, we are doing every time an evaluation of public debate, we have questionnaires and, and all that, so we quite know what's going on. That is why, uh, when I've been appointed at the, uh, at the Commission as the Vice President, uh, we decided to tackle this problem, which is... Uh, extremely important. Uh, how do we tackle it? Um, several ways. First, we've decided to um, pretty much uh, forget about big public meetings because, you know, there are always the same usual suspects coming to uh, these meetings. So we're not completely abandoning, abandoning it because we always need uh, public meetings. But less and less, we, we will have recourse to it less and less. We are going. We, are going, we have started to develop uh, what we call mobile public debate, uh, which means that we go outside on places. For example, for offshore windmill farms, we can go in campings on the beach, where to museums, to schools. We're actually not asking the people to come to us, but we're going to the people, which is extremely complex to organize uh, because people have a lot less time to exchange. You don't have an audience. You have people coming around in little groups, sometimes on their own, and you have a, a limited amount of time to talk to them, to inform them, and to have their feedback on the project. So we, we are developing methodology which, can be, um, which is really specific to mobile debate. And we are developing also uh, focus groups with, uh, with random parts of the population, with young people. We are going to schools as well, and we ask the uh, students to organize debates, and we ask people to organize themselves debates as a, as a delegation you know, manner. And the second way we tackle it is, of course, developing, uh, massively developing online participation, which was my specialty as a researcher as well. So we've completely rebuilt the uh, website of the, uh, of the uh, commission 
to have a far more participatory uh, website, <clears throat> which means to spend a lot more money online, which uh, contrary to what has been done. And we have organized uh, online forum, online surgeries, Q&A spaces, and uh, Twitter, Facebook, and all these type of social networks to exchange with the people. So this is a massive transformation of this institution, which, who, uh, which was a bit old-fashioned, to put it nicely. Uh, so we're trying to modernize the whole thing. So our, our thought is... Uh, by multiplying the different arenas of public debates, then you can try to target different type of population. But to be perfectly honest with you, it's a very hard, it, it, it's a very hard job, and it costs a lot of money. And um, the the cost, you know, the marginal cost of the uh, plus one people that you have to find can be enormous. So we have to think, we have to target the population, we have to give a massive information to a wide public before the debate starts, so the public can try to identify, you know, feel concerned themselves, and, and then come to us and we can try to, that way, uh, raise questions from the public and raise um, concern and ideas from the public. But it's, it's an ongoing task and it's a very difficult one. So it will never be perfect. Well, we're trying to do our best and trying to juggle with all these different arenas, but it makes it, makes it really hard. So that's for the first question. Second question, cross-border. We have more and more uh, public debates which involve um, foreign people, more and more. I was talking about this offshore windmill farm, for example, on the, uh, on the north coast, uh, close to Courcel. And um, <clears throat> we had public meetings in English, we had documentation in English, and that's how actually the, uh, the, uh, the, the UK citizens and, and uh, veterans, what you call veterans, yeah, from the Second World War, uh, came to us and say, uh, we've heard of it, and uh, we want to take part in the debate, and we want to... to uh, so we do actually have... To, we do take into account their own concern as well. Uh, we had another public debate, which was not as dramatic as this one, but uh, involving the building of a huge, massive uh, rugby arena, uh, which was supposed to be built in south of Paris, and which was uh, the uh, the French rugby league want well, would like this uh, this rugby arena to be built in order to organise the uh, the uh, World Cup uh, the uh, this nation, uh, Six uh, Nations World Cup. And uh, of course, uh, the British were extremely interested in this uh, facility because uh, they were asking, you know, how on earth are we going to make it to south of Paris? It's just a very long way to go. And what are we going? Is it safe? <laughs> Is it a safe area? Uh, what are we going to do when we're here, you know, after the match? <laughs> We want to go in, in Paris Centre for drinks and stuff, and we don't want to be stuck in the uh, south of Paris. And so there have been, uh, you know, heavy discussions with uh, citizens abroad. So it's the same thing with Lyon Turin. So uh, we consider that the public for public debate is not uh, determined by the nationality. It's whoever is concerned and has a legitimate concern 
on the pro about the project, then can, you know, give his argument and it be taken into consideration. Of course, more or less, or it's not always satisfactory, but uh, we try to do our best. And we, uh, it's, it's an ongoing process, of course. We can do better. We can always do better, but uh, it's very complex on the Lyon-Turin side. <laughs> this one is, is really tricky. But, um, but you, you're right. It's, uh, we, we're trying to involve uh, you know, foreigners in public debate. So we have problems of you know, language and all that, but we're trying to deal with Thank you very much, Sebastian. Good evening. Thank you for this uh, great lecture. Um, I, uh, could you just identify yourself, Sebastian? Yes, I'm Sebastian. I'm a student. <laughs> sorry, I'm a student of uh, public management in the Professor Bosley uh, uh, program. Um, I want to know. Um, I have two two aspects of one question. Um, given that France has a, a institution that is traditionally Please, sorry. Sorry, given that France has developed institutions that have been historically based on uh, reform coming from the head to the bottom, of course, we have the De Gaulle uh, Great Reform and then Mitterrand uh, Grand Travaux, and also that on the other side, the institutional um, functioning of France is very vertical uh, in every instance, from the top of the head of state to um, collectivité territoriale, etc. How do you think that this... Um, intrinsic structure of French decision-making may make it difficult on the long term for public deliberation to be efficiently institutionalized. How do you think that this will impact this intrinsic uh, public decision factor uh, of France will impact on the long term um, the institutionalization? Thank you. <coughs> Well, the way I see it is that it's actually a miracle that France invented the National Commission for Public Debate to, to, to start with. Um, <laughs> when you think about it, the way you put it, it is quite a miracle. It's the, actually the result of a compromise. Because French is, is still very vertical, even, even if things changes, because... The project are not only state's project now, so it involves a you know, different type of institution, different type of cooperation between the institution and the private sector. Because the state cannot cope with uh, permanent demonstrations, so it has to change. So the, the, uh, the National Commission is actually a, the result of a, a, social, a social compromise. Uh, between forces, between those vertical forces and, and the, uh, the pressure of society which actually ask for more and more participation. And I'm not saying it's easy. What I'm saying is that the fact that, there is, that it is institutionalized is the best guarantee. It's not written in marble. And maybe tomorrow the CNDP will be wiped off, but I... I don't think the context, the social context, is, um, gives any credibility to this hypothesis in the short term. But um, the uh, the fact that we have an institution guarantee that we're trying to do our best for the people to give at least some impact within the project. The way I see it from the inside now is what I see is that. We, are, we have more and more ministers who have to 
cooperate because the prob because the, the problems they're dealing with are not com are not silented. You know, they are not one-sided. They're they have to cooperate with with various the various ministers with with loads of uh, with the European Commission with associations. I mean, not every decision can be taken by. It's just not the way the decision-making process works. You have local authorities, you have national authorities, international authorities, and in the long run, you have a complex decision-making process where everyone is interacting with one another because the state cannot just say go or no go. It's more complex. It's always a negotiation. So this area of negotiation is actually... The public debate can, can be this area, this area of negotiation. And it, it is sometimes a real area of negotiation. The main problem we are facing now is that um, we, we have this public debate, debate at mo one moment, and then we have to organize a follow-up. The Grenelle de l'Environnement in, in two, the de l'Environnement 2010 law has actually organized the follow-up of the public debate. So we have cons we have consultation, cons uh, consultation, and we are guarantor of post-public debate uh, consultations. So we we follow up. Well, nothing's perfect. I mean, of course, uh, <laughs> people are always trying to. Uh, to, to, to have they, their, you know, make their point count. But we, we think that the, um, from what we witness is that there are still a, a, some room for these negotiations. As I always say, nothing is always written in marble, but what I can see is that more and more we have ministers, because we have a, also a counseling room, uh, role as a CNDP. I mean, we, some ministers come to us and say, we want to organize a public consultation, online consultation. Can you help me out to organize it? Give me some advice. So more and more ministers come to us and say, um, we want to organize a consensus conference before the preparation of a law about health, about the end of life, and, you know, critical topics like that. And we help them out. And from what I see is that it's, it's always a, it's always a, um, a struggle between, between this, this actually tendency for more participation and the reluctance of the state and some, and it's not the state, it's, from some, uh, from some project owners, from some general direction, transportation, you know, civil aviation, who wants to promote the development of new infrastructure. So there's always a struggle between these two forces. And depending on the circumstances, we, we can make the difference, of course. But, of course, it's not an easy. But not everything is, can be vertical now. Interesting. Um, just this gentleman here uh, in the middle, please. Just um, Chris David, member of the public. Uh, just building on the last question and a couple of the earlier questions, uh, do you think that we've now in, in developed... We, well, sorry? In developed wealthy democracies mm -hmm. like France, like the UK, like... The US, but particularly I'm thinking of European countries which are quite small in size. 
uh, where you have this incredible concentration of local interests, limited land, too many interests, um, too many regulations, so that, in fact, we've got to a point where you can't make these sorts of decisions in modern democracies. Mm-hmm. Um, how you know, do you feel that at times, or do you feel more confident that we can find a way through these things? Because they become incredibly complex and we Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. in the UK Mm. as an example a 50 year debate going on as to where we build another runway in London for a civil aviation (laughs) and it keeps moving around the houses Mm -hmm. without any ever Mm -hmm. really getting to closure so that would be an example of where we have failed to make a decision Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's true. That's why I was thinking that complexity, the complexity we're facing is a, is, a, is a tremendous challenge to public debate. So what we... I mean, two ways of answering this question. The first one is to be very pragmatic. Uh, pro- the tenancy, there's a tendency for project owners to render the public process, the decision-making process, sometimes more complex than it is actually. I've noticed in my offshore women farm, you know, uh, example I was, I was giving, if you actually put it, you know, on the table, and especially we need to put it on the table for the citizens just to explain where we are, what has been done, and what time we've been spent on. On, on these different phases of uh, negotiations, um, when you put it on the table, you can you find out that, uh, of course, the rules are complex, but the um, the main the the, um, the criteria for decision making is is not that uh, difficult to uh, organize. To um, you know, to prioritize, and then the public can be associated to associated to this uh, prioritization, um, and and it, it can give you know room for what we call discutability. You know, we're able to you know discussion and. Um, uh, the, the the complexity of the projects l- lies more um, uh, in the, um, on the on the studies they have to give on the on the on the reports they have to make on every type of you know aspects of the project that is very heavy for the project owners and I agree when I look at all the feasibility studies they had to give to the state. Uh, Within a two years, t- uh, you know, time, it's just enormous, and this regulation is very heavy for them. It stresses the project owners because every time they give a report, they, ha- they need an approval, and uh, the public debate in itself uh, is perceived as a, you know, one more stress. But it's it's it gives it actually gives some rooms. Some room for the uh, for the project owner to put everything on the table and say, okay, what is more? How, how do I how do I deal with all these all these oppositions, all these you know interests? And that's why we're trying to explain to them. You know, it's it's 
we, we can put it on the table. Um, the second way of answering your question is that uh, actually uh, France is very well aware of that and there, there's been for the last six months there's been intensive um, uh, work between the different ministers uh, to actually uh, redesign the, uh, the approval process for every urban uh, project and big, pro uh, big programs to uh, simplify it uh, and to help the project owners because we've reached a wide, it's, it's quite a heavy burden. And actually questioning the role of the debate in all this, and we are trying to defend this idea. So this is a way of answering your question. Thank you. Rizapi? Uh, Mm -hmm. But there must be lots of different interests and stakeholders mm -hmm. uh, within the public. Mm -hmm. In which case, I wonder, the decisions that the Commission make, to what extent is it a matter of looking at the project and understanding the technical complexity of it mm -hmm. and making technical rational decisions? And to what extent you have to cope with differential power mm -hmm. among the stakeholders mm -hmm. and how, therefore, do you reach your decisions? Well, actually, we don't make a decision on the project. We don't say at the end of it, well, this is what the project owner should do. We don't take any position on the project. We are completely neutral towards the project. Sometimes it's hard, I have to say. <laughs> but we don't, we don't do that. Uh, what we do is that we try to weigh the different, uh, the, the, the different arguments and we are trying to, um, to put on the paper all the, the, all the, the condition under which the project might be pursued. It can be heavy conditions and it can be smaller ones but we explain that if the project owner wants to keep on going on well, then he has to face three, four, five main challenges, uh, key issues. Maybe not like tomorrow, but maybe in a few years, it will come like yeah. a strong back in his face if, if, if not taking into account. So we try to see the different actors. We are trying, we, we're doing maps of actors. Uh, trying to understand and to evaluate, which is not always easy, to evaluate the, um, the way the public, the general public perceive, prioritize these arguments, uh, if they can, you know, just put the project down or can be, um, can be an asset for the, uh, for the project owners. If he, if he really works on this, then he can, he can reach, you know, um, um, not only better acceptability, but actually a better project, a more sustainable, more interesting one. For the offshore windmill farm, for example, we're, um, uh, we've just put a finger on something which is for us very important, is that the, uh, this offshore windmill farm is located 15 kilometers away from the beach, and this territory inside is, is 
been quite suffering from, you know, unemployment and uh, things like that. And this area, this region, is actually willing to develop and specialize because it has two very big universities in it uh, on on windmill, onshore and offshore. And the uh, universities, researchers, their hard sciences, you know, more and more doing some work in it. So we've we've. We, we are trying to because debate has not started yet, started yet. But we try to organize, you know, meetings between the consortiums and those type of actors, trying to, you know, trying to um, um, make the project owner understand, you know, what can be, what can he do for this territory if he doesn't listen to them, if he just say, okay, I'm going to come. Thousand, you know, thousand jobs. So maybe uh, he always promise more than what he actually does. But I'm going to come with such and such jobs, and this is for the, what I'm going to do for the region. Well, we're we're saying, well, the territory is actually hoping for more. Is hoping for long-run development. You know, industries, um, and smaller companies can develop, and a whole. A whole um, industry of um, not only offshore and onshore, but also how do you call that? Uh, um, this wind mills, but under the sea, hydrolien. Uh, I don't know how you call. It. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so the, this region is going to specialize in this. So that's why we're trying. You know, in in the long run, but we we never say, well, you should not do that. I have to say that for the nuclear waste, it's been quite difficult to handle this position, but we managed. We managed. <laughs> uh, very good. Vivek? Yeah, I'm Vivek. I work for the Government of India, and I'm pursuing Master's in Public Management and Governance. I have two questions. One is, like, what do you think can be the best way for a country like India to adopt this useful concept? That is one. Secondly, I am interested in exploring... Could you put the micro a bit? Yeah. Second question is, when, should I repeat the first one? Yes, please. Yeah. What do you think can be the best way to adopt this concept for a, uh, for a country like India? That is one thing. Second question is about the... Uh, I just, you know, I am interested in exploring the use of ICT for public debate. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's my interest area. So, can I find the stuff on that on your website? That's the second question. Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. Well, it's funny because India has invited us. Uh, I was not. I was not in the commission at that time. It was about two, two and a half years ago or something, and to discuss about it. And uh, they've been really interested in uh, in the way we work. I don't know what's what's going on now, but I know that there are several countries like uh, uh, like uh, South Korea. Uh, um, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia, some sort of, even China, believe it or not, um, that are interested in, in this type of uh, institution, Romania also. Um, and I think that for this country, um, an institution is, is probably um, necessary because it's actually... It actually put the basis, you know, for a negotiation. Some country might not need, you know, an institution like that because they can organize public debate, public deliberation on an ad hoc, uh, you know, basis, you know. 
but I think that for some country it's easier when you have actually an institution that actually can be a guarantor of 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 this of this deliberation. And um, why not in India? <laughs> Especially when you have in a in a huge country when you have so many you know so many huge infrastructure to build and and taking into account environment impact. Um, the studies we've done show, shows that um, the public debate has actually a very positive impact on, on the uh, environmental issues because um, a lot of associations and citizens are really concerned about environmental issues. So it's one of the main, main concerns, apart from uh, economy and, and you know, maybe... Uh, job consequences of uh, the building of infrastructures. Um, you don't necess necessarily uh, need a long tradition of, you know, uh, uh, public discussion in a country <laughs> to, organ to, to, have a, to have such an institution. Well, I don't consider France have ha for having a, a, you know, a long tradition of negotiation and and discussion. So I think if we can do it, if we can do it, a lot of country can do it. Thank you very much. Um, I'm afraid uh, that the any further questions will have to be uh, done informally after the uh, meeting because at the LSE we have a very uh, vertical uh, governance <laughs> structure. And uh, the implication of that is that when the clock is approximately at 8 o'clock, uh, we, we have to choose uh, acceptability over adequacy, okay? And the acceptability is running over the uh, – it is unacceptable to run over the deadline, even though I'm sure we would all find very adequate further discussion of this very interesting subject. And we thank our speaker for coming over uh, from France for and sharing her experience with us. Thank you very much. Thank you.